It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. This mandate goes into effect today, basically telling workers to get their vaccine or to go home. If they fail to get a vaccine by today and do not provide a medical reason, they could face termination without unemployment benefits. So far across the state, 89% of nursing facility staff have been vaccinated. Still, not one county has 100% of its employees vaccinated, showing the potential impact statewide. Medical workers vaccinated or not, say that they are waiting anxiously. But because of this mandate, we're going to lose. Last I knew, it was approximately 400 employees, maybe more, maybe less. But that's a devastating amount. You know, I'm scared because they're like threatening my livelihood. So that's the whole thing is scary because I'm the breadwinner for my family. I carry the health insurance. So to lose all that. Mass worker shortages Mass worker shortages could cancel surgeries and procedures. New York Governor Kathy Hochul could declare a state of emergency, which would call in medically trained members of the National Guard, retired professionals, and also new workers entering the medical field. Meanwhile, a vaccine mandate for all teachers and staff in New York City schools was scheduled to go into effect today. However, a federal judge blocking the rule over the weekend, putting it in limbo. A three-judge panel will hear the case on Wednesday for now, Teachers in the city, if they are not vaccinated, can still get tested to be able to work at school. However, medical workers will not have that same option and will need to at least get their first dose today. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That was a report from Vox. And, of course, they're talking about New York City and the deadlines for workers all over the country and military personnel and uh, private businesses are, are coming, you know, coming to a head. And so people are having to make some very... Difficult decisions, and you heard the um, the you heard the reporter there allude to the fact that the governor, the new governor now, Kathy Hochul of uh, New York, is uh, now saying that they're going to bring in maybe they're going to consider bringing in foreign medical workers. They're going to take people from other agencies and bring them in to replace nurses and doctors and other kinds of specialists in New York hospitals. And so um, I heard an interesting. Um, interview with uh, one of the doctors that appears on Fox this morning, and he was just saying how much chaos, you know, you can't, you know, every hospital, of course, has its own protocol way of doing things, uh, just knowing people. We don't need to explain that, do we? You have to, you operate better uh, when you're familiar and you have some history. And so to just have all of these people suddenly leave and replace them with people from desperate different places uh, who have different kinds of backgrounds uh, will be so chaotic. And also, uh, if you remove people from uh, uh, medical positions in other federal agencies, then you leave a gap there. 
So this is certainly no answer, uh, but it is the answer right now because everyone must be vaccinated. You know, medical workers, I, I want to refer you to that undercover video by uh, James uh, O'Keefe. Um, and again, let's put it on our Facebook page, page again today, Adam. Uh, this is uh, where this woman who works for uh, HHS, uh, who is a nurse, comes out and she is a whistleblower for sure. And she has this undercover video of hot doctors uh, discussing that what they're seeing, people getting blood clots, all these horrible side effects. There's a reason why medical people are resisting getting this uh, vaccine. I, I, you know, I, or this shot. Yes, this shot, not a vaccine, really, not in the definition. It's really just a shot that alters and replaces uh, your immune system, and uh, that's the danger, because from all accounts. By replacing your immune system, they're replacing it with an immune system that fights this specific strain of COVID, but not other kinds of infections. And that's why there's such dire predictions about what's going to happen to people who are fully vaccinated when they try to ward off other kinds of infections, which reminds me of the story that came across my desk this morning. There's a Michigan couple from Grand Rapids uh, who actually were fully vaccinated. They had um, they had some physical concerns. Uh, they had some other conditions, and so they wanted to make sure that they were protecting themselves, and they got the vaccine. Uh, and now they they have they both got a COVID. <laughs> they got a very serious case of COVID. Cal Dunham, 59, his wife Linda, 66. Uh, they were very cautious. They came down, when, and that's why they got vaccinated. Uh, both both shot both shots. They both came down with symptoms during a recent camping trip, and uh, days later were put in hospital, both on ventilators. Well, that should tell you everything you need to know. I'm sorry, I'm prejudging. It doesn't, you know, spell out those details in this whether the hospital gave them, you know, ivermectin or anything that a, a treatment doesn't say that. But I'm guessing this is Michigan, and I'm guessing that this is like most hospitals everywhere refusing treatment putting people on ventilators and really letting them die. And oh, that's my assumption, but they did die. Uh, they decided that they wanted to wheeled and be wheeled into a room together. They did. They held hands. He died at 11.07 a.m. and she died at 11.08. Fully vaccinated, 59 and 66. All right, so that, this is, um, you know, healthcare workers are seeing this stuff. They're seeing this stuff. You know, what amazes me is that more of them are not refusing. But their livelihoods, their children, um, their, you know, people depending on them, their, the medical, probably their medical insurance uh, is medical insurance for their families. Just the dilemma is unbelievable. And, of course, in New York City schools and teachers other places too, but New York City is really, you know, on the front edge of this. You know, the leading indicator. They are trying to force them all to be vaccinated. But... Uh, there are nearly 30,000 New York City school staffers who are not yet vaccinated. So the unions managed to push this deadline back. And you just heard in that report that a judge has interceded there. Uh, so the, yesterday was the, um, he initially, de, de Blasio said that they had to have their first shot by September 27th, which was yesterday. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with teachers. And as I read about this, it sounds like there's a teacher, a looming teacher shortage across the country, and this is just exacerbating it because um, they're not making any exceptions for, like, immunity, natural immunity. In fact, I had a friend who 
uh, went to, to donate blood just last week, and she told me Sunday that uh, she wanted the thing she wanted to do from giving her blood was to, to get the report on what antibodies that she had. And when they finished doing the blood work and she'd filled out all the papers, she asked, you know, what was the, what were the results on her antibodies? And she, uh, they told her, oh, we don't do that anymore. We've stopped giving that report. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why are they stopping treatment, legitimate treatment, whether it's ivermectin or before that it was hydroxychloroquine, still is, and other things, monoclonal antibodies? Why, why would they stop that? And why would they stop people from wanting to know about if they have antibodies or not? This is just bizarre, and it's, it's worse than that. I, I, it's criminal. It really is. It's, it's malfeasance. And by the way, uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida, since the Biden administration decided to take over the distribution <clears throat> monoclonal antibodies, and in the, in the interest of equity, decided to cut Florida's supply in half well, Florida has now acquired monoclonal antibodies from GlaxoSmithKline in Great Britain. So they bypassed the federal government. They're going to continue making it available to their citizens. So, and in, in, by the way, in Louisiana, the Attorney General Jeff Landry is warning pharmacies against blocking COVID treatment. And this is what he said in an interview with The Blaze. He said, never have pharmacists been allowed to practice medicine and get between a doctor and his patient. Most certainly not in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, by the way, this month he became the first <clears throat> attorney general to publicly warn pharmacists against blocking COVID-related prescriptions, particularly for ivermectin. His letter was in response to an August memo from the Louisiana Board of Pharmacy titled, Do Not Use Ivermectin to Treat or Prevent COVID-19. So he's going after them. Uh, the <laughs> this, is, this is the madness, the madness. Your doctor can prescribe ivermectin and then the pharmacist can say, no, I can't fill that. That's what's happening. And so uh, Jeff Landry, the AG in Louisiana, is doing something about that, and God bless him for that. And then, of course, uh, a couple of other pieces of news on COVID. Before I go to something else here, uh, dozens of Massachusetts state troopers have submitted their resignations over the vaccine mandate. And and so so we're going to have a shortage of police, too, like we don't already have a shortage of police. Uh, and then, of course, a lot of military folk are, uh, you know, choosing to, to leave. And Joe Biden now is refusing, at least he's indicating he's going to refuse letting them have honorable discharge if they refuse to get the the shot. So it's just disgraceful. I under, my understanding is lots of pilots are walking away, special forces. I don't have a quantifying number on that, but that's dangerous for all of us. Dangerous. Ridiculous. When there are medications that could treat you if you get COVID, Norway has, by the way, declared that, uh, actually, they said, excuse me, I'm having allergy problems this morning. They said that uh, they, now they review COVID as no more, no more than like seasonal flu. And they have actually um, decided to lift all of, the, uh, all of the restrictions. They had a big celebration in the street this week uh, because they're ending all the restrictions completely. They're joining Sweden, who's doing the same thing. And um, now they have, I think Norway is basing their decision on the fact that their people have been vaccinated. Sweden, not so much. I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, I honestly don't know if Sweden has been. Sweden was one that did not shut down and did not uh, do social distancing and become mask Nazis. And they, they pre- pretty quickly developed a herd immunity, which is what's happened for, you know, centuries. You know, 
maybe centuries, because, but we might not have known about it for centuries. Uh, but that's what's been happening in medical history. We, people develop immunity to things, and then there's no need for shots or vaccinations. Uh, but that's uh, something that the, the money-making producers of vaccines from Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson aren't interested in. And the people who are making these decisions who are tied into them are also not interested in uh, giving anyone credit for having natural immunity. My understanding is it's very dangerous for you if you have natural immunity to have the shot. It makes it you have even a worse reaction. I want to tell you something, though, funny. I think this is funny. Could you use something funny? Well, there was this big documentary uh, on uh, Anthony Fauci, and the film was called Fauci, it's a film detailing the scientific life of the nation's preeminent infectious disease expert. Uh, and so it was, uh, the, the re- it was released September the 10th in cities like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, D.C., and New Orleans. And so um, the problem is when these things come out, and I know because I track a lot of these, I've covered documentaries with you before, Everyone wants to know the numbers. What are the numbers? So the numbers, uh, but the numbers on this Fauci, this great movie of his great achievements, no one has released them. Mum is the word. No one seems to know if anybody went to see Fauci. In fact, Rotten Tomatoes, Box Office Pro, Box Office Mojo, IMDb, silent, silent on Fauci. So we don't know if anybody went to see that great documentary that was is by the it's directed by Emmy winners John Hoffman and Janet Tobias. It uh, Fauci earned most positive reviews according to film critic aggregator site RottenTomatoes.com, but no numbers. It doesn't look like. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just think that's funny. It doesn't. It makes one think that maybe people did not go see that movie, or maybe you know didn't think as highly of it as the critics had hoped. So anyway, just a little bit of humor this morning. All right, when we take a break, we come back, we're going to talk about, I think, it depends on a couple of things here, we're going to talk about an update on what's happening happening in uh, the rescue in Afghanistan. Uh, so, uh, so stay tuned. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. When an unplanned pregnancy happens to a mom in crisis, preborn clinics are there. I was extremely scared. The father did not want the child, and he had made me choose him or the baby. This mother chose life after meeting with preborn counselors and seeing her baby on ultrasound. I just felt so blessed and the hand of God on me so strong, and I knew then on I was going to serve God, and I was going to keep this child, and I was going to love him just like God loved me so unconditionally. Preborn centers met this mom in her darkest hour, helping her to choose not only life for her baby, but life in Jesus. He was our little miracle child. God's timing was impeccable. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, visit preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. 
The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. This fall, Liberty University is celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ. Since 1971, Liberty has been training Christ-centered men and women with the values, knowledge, and skills essential for impacting the world, a vision that continues today. The story of Liberty University is one of unwavering faith, and we invite you to be part of the next chapter. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Visit liberty.edu to learn more. Again, that's liberty.edu. Stacy Langdon could not believe what she found at her child's public school library, books filled with stories about pedophilia in the Fairfax County school system. One of the books is called Lawn Boy, the other genderqueer, a memoir. The books were filled with explicit sexual encounters available for children to check out in the school libraries. School board member Carl Frisch dismissed Mrs. Langdon's concerns, said nothing would disrupt the board's commitment to LGBT issues. But pedophilia is even a stretch for some liberals, and the books were later removed from the libraries. The fight to restore decency and values in our public schools is going to be a long, hard fight, but it's a fight worth having. The broader issue in Fairfax County is rooting out the person who thought it was a good idea to promote pedophilia in the school library. That person should be fired and then turned over to the police. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. There are still tens of thousands of at-risk Afghans who, you know, we made a promise to with SIVs and other qualified paperwork to get out of there. Um, and, you know, that, that, that's going to be the long game. I mean, a lot of these people, like our partnered Special Operations Forces and others, they can't just walk and get on an airplane. Um, so this is going to be a long game. You know, this is going to be a long event. Uh, we're not giving up. Uh, But winter is coming, you know, and right now the humanitarian aid that is going to be necessary for these at-risk populations is primarily coming from the private sector, uh, and we're going to need some help on that as we build this out. Well, I can tell you that the, the combat veterans and the veteran volunteers in this are not anywhere near done. Uh, a lot of these people have quit their jobs as school teachers at Amazon. They've cashed in their 501, 401ks, Brian. And, you know, honoring a promise has a cost, man. I mean, a lot of these veterans have been on like a one-month-long 911 dispatch call. And these are already, you know, pretty severely traumatized people. But they're not going to give up. And that's our message to the Afghan people, to their families. We're not going to give up. We're going to find ways to continue to get you to safety and hopefully to freedom. 
keeping at-risk Afghans and American citizens alive right now is is is, is a very heavy lift for the private sector. Um, and winter is coming, and winter in Afghanistan is no fun. We've got people that are wounded. We've had women giving birth in safe houses. Right. Um, you know, this is going to be a humanitarian lift that we're really going to need some help with, and we really need the American people to come together around this. I hope that we will around our veterans, showing us what this looks like. I see at-risk Afghans being hunted and targeted every day. And uh, the sense of urgency for all of these volunteer groups that are out there doing that way beyond pineapple is something that I hope the American people are proud of. And I hope that we can continue to get behind because just, we're going to need it as winter right. comes. All right. That was a Scott Mann, who is a veteran, and he is the um, operator of Task Force Pineapple. That's one of those individual groups. My understanding is a lot of military guys left their jobs. People have left their work uh, to just go all in because they promised they would not leave people behind. And uh, there's so much honor among these men, uh, and there are women too. In fact, we were going to have one as a guest this morning, but something's happened here. So I, I'm going to tell you what I know about it. I'm not the expert, but uh, we have private groups forming all over. They have been, you know, since those days when you watched uh, at the airport, the chaos at the airport. You know, just regular citizens just dug deep in their pocket. Many people have spent thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to try to get planes together to send in rescue teams. And that's, uh, they've, I don't know, I can't quantify their success uh, because I don't know, have that information. But I know they're still there. And according to Scott, they're not giving up until they get them out. So uh, you, you, if you know like this, I, I only have, uh, I have a couple of other names. I'll get to that. But Task Force Pineapple, I'm sure there's a website for that. And if you are so moved, uh, to to give and donate to them, uh, that would be money well spent. I'm thinking, uh, and also they certainly deserve our, our support. So, how many people are left in Afghanistan? How many Americans? Well, uh, on August the 30th, Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, told us that well, we believe there are just a small number of Americans. Not to worry, under 200, and likely closer to 100. And then uh, Joe Biden repeated that on August 31st. Uh, Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, repeated that on September the 5th. We believe it's around 100. We're, we're in touch with all of them, he said. And September 13, Blinken, after the place was horrendously deserted, Blinken said, as of the end of last week, we had about 100 American citizens in Afghanistan who told us they wished they wished to leave the country. <laughs> so the inference, of course, is that, you know, the others didn't, you know, they just didn't really want to leave. They'd rather stay there and die or be, you know, beheaded or murdered or raped, uh, you know, so they're not interested in leaving. That's the inference. And so uh, today they're saying the same thing. Yesterday this is reported. The administration is still saying there's around 100 American citizens there. Well, not so. I mean, uh, the estimates are that there's it's closer to 1,000. I think Trey Yankst uh, from Fox has been really in country, kind of tr trying to track this. He's been doing interviews with various people stranded there, and so um, there are permanent green card holders. Now these are Afghans, as far as I know. That that category would include Afghan nationals, and uh, there are tons of Americans. They, they're what I've been hearing is they're disguising themselves, you know, as Afghans, and in hiding. I've got some stories here of some of them. Um, here's one. This is what's happening to some of them. Witnesses say Taliban have hanged a dead body from a crane in the main square of Herat City in western Afghanistan. And the associate, uh, Asad Hana reports 
the Taliban killed and hanged the journalist Honor Hamad. Um, I don't know where, but they hanged them. And then um, there is one translator that's being reported by someone involved in this. He said he's been hiding since the Taliban's takeover. And it won't be long before the Taliban find him and his family. It could be hours, could be days. I'm just hoping he makes it back. And they report that he was an incredibly honorable man who served our country at great peril to his own life. And the thing, the importance of this is we promised, the American government promised those Afghans who, at the risk of their own well-being in their own country, even at that time, uh, chose to help us and be interpreters or help us with intelligence we promised we'd protect them. We promised we'd get them out. And that's why our military guys are so exorcised over this, because they made they, they were the ones doing the talking, shaking hands and looking at those men in their eyes and telling them they protect them and their families. And now they feel it's their honor on the line. That's why they're spending their money and their time and their talents to go over and rescue them. And so um, the, the irony of this, too, irony. I keep using that word. This is not irony. This is deliberate malfeasance. But in this case, this uh, Shirzad is the guy's name that they were talking about who's so honorable and he's been in hiding. Uh, he applied for a special immigrant visa as early as 2016. And the process was so botched, the papers had to be resubmitted. And we heard that on other counts, too, that the, the State Department was just slow walking or totally disorganized or intentionally stopping people from having, they had papers, but they weren't accepting them, and they'd make them refile. And so here's the last on uh, Shirzad. He's hiding in a safe house in Afghanistan that's littered with garbage and filth. He was taking the risk of speaking to the media because he only has two options, get his message out and get to the U.S., or face the really, real, the very real prospect that he and his family will be killed by the Taliban. All right, so um, that's just a little snippet of what's happening to those left behind. Uh, from another source, I'm reading that the Taliban has systematically, over this past weekend, was going door-to-door in Kabul districts seeking out high-profile females and um, USG. I'm, I don't know what that uh, U.S. – I don't know what G stands for. I'm sorry. Collaborators, I guess. Uh, U.S. government collaborators. Very dangerous nights there. We are coming up in a month since the last gate at the uh, airport was opened for possible evacuees, and things are still very chaotic and unclear from our government. Most of the work, if not all, is being done on the ground by private citizens, as far as we can tell. So um, that's that's kind of an update. Now that's, but there are a few other things that I wanted to share with you. Unbelievably, well, no, not so unbelievably. These groups like Operation. Uh, the pineapple operation, um, are being now investigated by the FBI. Okay, Hundreds of Americans and thousands of green card holders are still stranded, and uh, there are still U.S. citizens here as well, says Trey Yangst. The daughter of that man from Atlanta has a U.S. passport. We've met multiple American passport holders still in Kabul. Some made it out and uh, on Qatari flights. Uh, others did not. Another former Afghan interpreter for U.S. forces was killed after being severely tortured. The interpreter was arrested three days ago by Taliban in Kunar province, and his body was found in a desert today. His father said his son had been hiding for a long time, but the U.S. did not help get him out. And so, um, now, here's the thing. Now the FBI is investigating these groups. 
The FBI has been reaching out to members of the veterans groups working to evacuate American citizens and at-risk Afghans and inquiring about their activities. In at least one case, visiting a group leader at his home. And that group leader was the guy we just heard from, Scott Mann. Um, Agents have visited, emailed, and called members of Task Force Pineapple and Task Force Dunkirk, two of the more prominent organizations, and other groups with a host of queries. The Bureau has asked groups about financial records to provide manifests and make sure that no federal laws are violated. According to eight group members and congressional aides familiar with the moves. And I'm, I'm reading this from Politico, by the way. In one instance, agency officials showed up at the home of Scott Mann, founder of Task Force Pineapple, said Tim Parlatori, the group's legal counsel. Such a visit is normal for the FBI and the group cooperated fully, Parlatori said. Some of the people described the outreach as nothing out of the ordinary and part of a growing public-private partnership on evacuations, and um, but other people saw it differently. And the statement was made, anytime you get visited by the FBI or contacted by an entity like that, it's concerning. I'd say it's concerning because we, because we don't trust the FBI. Because they, we know that they consider veterans and um, patriots uh, as. Uh, now I'm I'm giving a broad name: patriots, people that love the Constitution, people that came uh, to support President Trump on January 6th, people that support President Trump, people who uh, wave flags that say "Don't tread on me," people who okay, so those people, uh, they believe believe they are domestic terrorists, they are insurrectionists, and so I don't know why we would not be concerned that they would be investigating these groups trying to get the Afghan refugees out because they're making the Biden administration look bad. Yeah, so yeah, so I, I think maybe the FBI has another mission there. That's my thought. You remember that um, Marine officer who went rogue in Afghanistan? He was a command, uh, Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. He was, he went, I, I wish we don't have that clip or we'd play it, but he remember he actually took on his leadership and he said, what are we doing? We have to take responsibility. Who's, who made that call? Who thought it was a good idea to get out of Bagram? Uh, and for that, uh, now he has been arrested. He's in jail. And um, he. I think he said in some of his, you know, military rank and file are not allowed to speak out on political issues. Um, they're not allowed to talk uh, publicly in criticism of their commanders. And so I think he knew that he was risking, but he felt he just, his conscience was just, uh, he was relieved from duty, uh, but he felt he had to tell the, tell what he was seeing and call it out. He was so disturbed. And so uh, now he's been arrested and he's in, he's in the brig. So, um, yeah, I know those of you who are military think that he should. Look, I know you have mixed feelings about it, some of you. Uh, he broke the rules of the military, and so he has to pay that price, and he said he was willing to pay it. That's my kind of guy, actually. I, I feel that way about um, Christians who complain too much about, um, well, let's just use, for instance, abortion protests. If you do something illegal in an abortion protest and get arrested, then, see, I think you just go willingly and you know take the punishment instead of complaining about being punished. <laughs> and that's what he does. He's not complaining about it. Uh, but there is something really wrong here, isn't there? Something really, really wrong, and we all know that. Uh, and, you know, in regard to the numbers of who's in Afghanistan and who's left there, you may have heard about this in passing, but there was a, um, both parties of congressmen, I think it was senators and congressmen, who were in on a briefing from the White House 
about who's actually left in Viet- uh, Vietnam, huh? who's after actually left, left in, um, in Afghanistan, actually walked out of the briefing. Uh, it's, I've heard it reported that they all walked out of the briefing because they felt like the Biden administration, whoever was, was unserious, uh, there was some, it was like it was a, a silly briefing, just a silly briefing on something that's so incredibly important. And even Democrats were offended by how they, uh, how this Biden administration briefer briefed them. So just a little aside on that. And so um, one last thing here, Kash Patel, I've been meaning to have Kash on. I, I met him uh, last year. I met him a couple of times, but he was the former chief of staff to acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller. Uh, he also was uh, in the Trump administration. Um, President Trump hired him to do something. That's how I met him. But um, he is now speaking out because, remember, Secretary of State Antony Blinken was was blaming the withdrawal of Afghanistan on President Trump. We we just you know this is what we inherited, and so we this is this was the plan that Trump had in place, and this is Cash is on record saying that's just not true. He said we actually did not leave them a deadline. It was a negotiation between the U.S. government, the Taliban, and the Afghans, and if that date was not to work for this incoming administration, they could have moved it. But what they chose to do was break the entire agreement, and then they thought. Since the adults were back in Washington, D.C., and Blinken and Biden were leading the charge, the world will just fall in place for them. And they blew it in Afghanistan. So I think their credibility is shot when it comes to everything Afghanistan. Trump's overall plan was to peacefully negotiate yourself out of Afghanistan with a conditions-based withdrawal. And he said, and the world knew that was President Trump's plan. Under the Trump plan, the Taliban and the Afghan government had to meet certain criteria if they wanted the U.S. to help them establish a peaceful, negotiated government in Afghanistan without U.S. troop presence. The main component of that was an all-out rejection of al-Qaeda and ISIS. And uh, so the plan was to make sure we got every American before we left, before we took the military, before we left Bagram Air Base, and before we left equipment and left a crisis like the Biden administration did. As for the plan for leaving Bagram, Patel said that was the very last thing we do in our country. After Americans were out, after our equipment was out and or destroyed, after the thousands of detainees at Bagram were adjudicated and airlifted out of the country. And he said we actually bucked our NATO allies, meaning the Biden administration did, and um, when we bucked them when Biden said, we're leaving. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Allies certainly didn't want that. We put them in a terrible position with the people that they had left behind in Afghanistan. And so uh, we have not been making friends in the world over this, and certainly not friends at home. And people are still very much in danger. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. the mirror, what do you see looking back at you? You see you, right? Why did God make me in his image? An article by Laura Perry. Like the image in the mirror, God created us to be like him in the sense that we would reflect him. That way others can get a glimpse of who he is. To read this article and more, sign up to receive a complimentary copy of the Engage Biannual Magazine at engagemagazine.net. Understanding God's love for you can radically alter your parenting. 
On the next Focus on the Family, Crystal Payne shares her story of transformation from fear to love-centered parenting. She'll describe the four most important choices you can make as a parent. That's next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. At the climax of the account, when Jesus restored Peter's personal relationship with him and Peter's call to ministry, he saw John following them. Jesus had just predicted that Peter would give his life for the gospel when Peter said, What about John, Lord? Jesus responded, What does he have to do with your calling? You follow me. With those words, Jesus hit a consistent flaw of the human condition. We derive value and self-worth by comparing ourselves to other people. Your ups, your downs, your failures, your victories were never meant to be compared to other people. We have been called to serve an audience of one. The only approval you need is His. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Aria is suffering for the gospel. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and eventually received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He beat young Aria nearly to death and called the officials to report her as an infidel. They took her to her remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend and eventually let them go. Now, these two women, they didn't grow bitter. They grew bold, and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ in the Middle East where it's nearly impossible to get a Bible. And that's why Bible League is inviting you to send God's Word to bible believers around the globe at only $5 a Bible. $100 sends 20 every gift matched. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or click sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley will likely excuse his contribution to Joe Biden's humiliating defeat in Afghanistan today by falsely asserting the Taliban's swift victory was unexpected. Even more untenable is our unpreparedness for the coming conflict with China. Its leadership and propaganda outlets have been telling the Chinese since 2019 that their country is engaged in a people's war with the United States and to prepare for hostilities. Former Air Force Commander Matthew Lohmeyer urges Milley's Senate interlocutors to ask, quote, did he tell his counterpart in the People's Liberation Army that in the event the United States government decided to engage in military-related actions against China, he would provide advanced warning? Unquote. If so, the general's conduct would not be, as with the Afghan defeat, merely a gross dereliction of duty. It could prove to be a devastating betrayal of our country. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Okay, well, while you're trying to have a, a life... <laughs> In spite of all the obstacles, you know, um, trying to live out the Declaration of Independence, you know, pursuing happiness, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, trying to take care of your family and pay your bills and 
be able to manage your own affairs and have some freedom and autonomy to make your own choices. That's rapidly being taken away from us. And so while we're trying to do that, our Congress is up to incredible mischief. I know that won't be a surprise to you. They are in the process of trying to pass a $4.5 trillion spending bill. Now, they're saying it's $3.5 trillion, but we know that's not really true. And so um, uh, they're really intent on bankrupting the country. I've talked to you about that. This is like um, a friend of mine put it this way, and I think he's right. This is like uh, they know that this ship is going to sink, and they're trying to rape the Treasury for everything they can, take everything they can for themselves uh, before it goes down. That's what I think is true. I believe that is true, uh, literally. But, um, we're you know, public officials are not saying that yet. I'm saying that. Uh, but um, Dan Crenshaw was on Fox last night, and he sort of le- he explained it very well. Dan is such a deep thinker. I just love he doesn't just comment on this situation. He actually gives context and frames it for you so you can understand. Let's listen. Uh, it's not free. Nothing is free, Brian. And, and I'm sorry, but I but I can't give you a good explanation for this because there isn't one. And uh, tell you what, it's also well above three trillion dollars. I mean, the new estimates on it, based on actually going through it in the budget committee, are, are almost four and a half trillion dollars. And there's only about two trillion dollars in tax increases. So I know math is hard for Democrats, and especially so for the ones who govern. Uh, but this math doesn't work out. The other really interesting thing about about this is their lack of understanding about basic economics. So Biden said it costs zero dollars. That's like saying when I go buy a cup of coffee just because I paid for it, that it doesn't cost anything. But of course it costs something. Look, I think what this bill really boils down to is straight up bribery for the progressive agenda, for the progressive activists, and trying to bribe the American people. And tell you what, because of this bill, you might need those bribes because it's going to kill your jobs and it's going to kill your wages. You know, if you're in the energy sector, it's an estimated 90,000 jobs lost because of the bills, because of the provisions that are in the this bill on the, the natural gas tax, for instance. Not only that, but your electricity prices are going to go up as a result, and you're not going to have reliable energy, okay? Just like the problems in, in California, and frankly, that's what led to some of the problems in Texas. There's a lot of bad stuff in this. I mean, the corporate tax increase will kill jobs. And not only that, but economists estimate it will also reduce wages. So th- th- this is bad on so many fronts. It'll lead to slower growth and stagnation and inflation, uh, which is just not something Americans need right now. So there's the yeah. massive reconciliation package in the the infrastructure package. Now, in the infrastructure package, my problem with the infrastructure package is that it's simply too expensive. The stuff that's in there isn't that bad, but I think it's about three times more expensive than it needs to be. Um, And the good news is the progressives aren't going to let Democrats pass that one either. Uh, Because, look, I I think the last thing we need after spending almost $6 trillion over the past year because of COVID relief is more spending. All right, we need to rein it in, do what works for the economy, do what promotes growth. And when you promote growth, businesses flourish, they're hiring people and wages increase. You know where wages especially increase? For the bottom quintile of earners. That's proven under the Trump economy. And we could do it again. Again, all Joe Biden had to do to be successful was do nothing. But he can't help himself. Yeah, he can't help himself. Oh, he can help himself. But uh, he's helping himself to your money. That's what he's doing. And as a matter of fact, Joe Biden, he, uh, Dan Crenshaw alluded to this. But let me give you the quote. <laughs> this happened over the weekend. Uh, President Biden uh, shared a message from his Twitter account. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he typed his Twitter message. Uh, you know, this is one thing. 
I'm sorry. I think I'm getting slap happy. You know, President Trump tweeted a lot, uh, but you can bet those tweets came out of his brain. And I know his, I know he's a digital guy. He's a great guy. And uh, I'm sure that he did some of them. But for the most part, they were the passion and strong opinions of Donald Trump. I'm not sure you can, uh, I think Joe Biden has someone else tweeting for him. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, But this is what Joe Biden said on his Twitter account. My Build Back Better agenda costs zero dollars. Instead of wasting money on tax breaks, loopholes, and tax evasion for big corporations and the wealthy, we can make a once-in-a-generation investment in working America. It it adds zero dollars to the national debt. So, um, And then um, the White House spokesperson, Andrew Bates, told Axios on Friday the bill's price tag is zero dollars because it will be paid for by ending failed special tax giveaways for the richest taxpayers and corporations, adding nothing to the debt. Well, of course, that is just an abject lie. So chalk it up in the lie column because, you know, um, major companies and corporations and wealthy people, there's no way they, they don't, even if you took all of their tax money, you could not pay off our national debt. So uh, it's a false construct. But I, oh, I want to just tell you a couple of things. You'll be happy to know that in this $3.5 trillion, which they're calling spending bill, it includes free community college for illegal immigrants. Free. It'll be free. All those people coming across the border, the 30,000 that are getting ready to come uh, from uh, Haiti or from some other country uh, en route from Haiti, uh, free tuition and all the other people who are now, you know, in a neighborhood near you, free tuition for them. Now, you won't get free tuition, but they'll get free tuition. And then there's $3 billion for tree equity. There's money for bias training. It's a, it's a great, listen, they're spending our money well, don't worry. And then that reminds me, I have to just play this. This is stunning to me. People of Kentucky, my dear friends in Kentucky, what were you thinking when you elected John Yarmouth? I don't know anything about him. I'll confess to you, I don't know anything about him. But he was recorded uh, in so, at some dinner in some place in Kentucky, I thought people in Kentucky understood, you know, you make a budget, you pay your bills, but evidently not. I have to remember that Mitch McConnell's from Kentucky, so maybe that's just not true. So listen to what John Yarmouth, the foolishness, I'm sorry, I'm prejudicing you before you listen. This is why he says, listen, we don't have to worry about paying this. We, we don't have to so worry about paying this. So then the question comes, if you can't find the resources to do it, what do you do? And this is part of a much longer topic that I'm not going to discuss today. But it's about making some recommendations. One is we don't need to find ways to take money from people to pay for what we need to do for people. In this country, because we issue our own currency and because we borrow and spend in our own currency, we can pay for whatever we want to pay for. We just tell the Treasury to pay the bills. You write the checks when the bills come in. Uh, and you say, well, what about the debt? $28 trillion. Uh, are you piling it on our grandkids? No, we're not. We're not. This is standard, I will say, conservative rhetoric. And even some Democrats parrot it. Well, we're putting it on our kids' credit card. We've been accumulating debt in this country for 230 years. Not one person has ever been asked to pay for 
his or her grandfather's prophecy. Right? Never happens. The biggest thing is, I'm sure, when the national debt reached $1 billion under Abraham Lincoln. I know they were saying it when it reached a trillion dollars under Ronald Reagan. I, was, I heard all that stuff back then. Right. So a trillion dollars under Reagan, it's now 28 trillion. Has anybody been asked to pay part of that debt? No, because we don't have to. Uh, but yeah, we have a sovereign currency. We are not like businesses, we are not like families, we are not like state governments, we are not like local governments. We don't have to balance our checkbook. We are like the banker in Monopoly. We create the money, we hand out the money, everybody else plays the game with it. Did you catch that? We don't have, we're different. We're not like businesses. We're not like families. We don't have to pay our debts. We don't have to balance our checkbook. We just tell Treasury and they print more money. And it will never be bad. I mean, it will never come back on our children. I mean, don't worry about that. People say that. Republicans say that. But that's that's really not true. Really? I don't know. I was. Uh, we need to get FD more more on again to explain inflation. But um, uh, my rudimentary understanding of this is that money, would, the more we print, the less value it has. And that that you know that would be like uh, Zimbabwe when they went through their revolution back in the '60s. I think it was. They've been Rhodesia before that. They went through this revolution. The the black uh, Africans, uh, you know waged war against the white farmers. And so uh, the, the economy went into turmoil. The, the thousand percent inflation that at one point, they're probably larger than that. But I just remember a thousand at one point. So that, you know, you go, yeah, you have lots of money, but you go, you know, buy a loaf of bread and it's $300, you know. So, you know, uh, the repercussions of this are unfathomable. And John Yarmouth, should be removed. This is, I just looked it up while he was talking. Louisville. Louisville. What are people, what are people in Kentucky thinking? How in the world could you have elected someone like that? See, this is what we've all been doing. We have elected people who have become fools. They've become arrogant. They are insulated. They are detached from reality. And they sure as heck don't love this country uh, the way we do. And so uh, my recommendation to people in Kentucky is, you know what, uh, this is the season where we find people to run against people. So I think, surely, in Louisville, Kentucky, and in the 3rd District there, there's somebody that can beat John Yarmouth, who has some common sense. All right, so um, now, a couple of other things before we say goodbye today. By the way, I will be uh, at Radio Row, uh, right across from the Capitol for the next few days, uh, doing live shows, we're going to be having some incredible guests, guests, <laughs> uh, and we'll be talking about what's happening at the border and what's happening with immigration. Stephen Miller will be our guest. I, I think uh, Stephen, we're working on that. That we're we're trying to coordinate the time, uh, but we'll have other people too. Uh, Brigitte Gabriel, you you won't want to miss it. There will be great shows, and so that's what I'll be doing. It'll be noisy the next couple of days. So this is our last quiet morning <laughs> this week, uh, but I, a couple of stories I want to get in. Um, one of the January 6th Capitol uh, participants uh, has died. 
awaiting the charges that have been against him. He's a U.S. military veteran. He was charged with the breach. He's John Anderson. He's 61. He died in Jacksonville, Florida, September 21st. Uh, and the, his wife said, my sweet, handsome husband went home to be with the Lord. Anderson's wife is asking for prayers and privacy as she mourns the loss. Anderson, who was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, was charged with seven counts in connection with a capital breach, including civil disorder, interfering with law enforcement, and stealing government property. Anderson was arrested in late February in St. Augustine and released pending trial about a week later. Authorities said he was part of the crowd that attempted to enter the Capitol through a tunnel, clashing with officers in the process. But his attorney said he did nothing wrong and was trapped by people pressing him from behind. Screenshots from surveillance video in the tunnel showed Anderson was struck with a chemical substance let loose by a male in the crowd. Police officers later sprayed pepper spray into the crowd, which also hit Anderson. He was assisted by officers through the tunnel after several minutes. Anderson said that the officers saved his life. But he also protested against the charges, which his lawyers said weren't backed by evidence. John Anderson never hurt or touched a single police officer. And the video evidence proves this. John Anderson died, an innocent man, wrongfully accused. Uh, so I, I think there's more to his story than that, but that's all I have for this morning on this. I want to read you just briefly. This is from another prisoner to a friend of mine. He says, I uh, just wanted to let you know how much I appreciated your card and thoughts, thoughtful words. I guess one of the things that uh, worries me and my fellow uh, prisoners is the possibility of being forgotten. Um, your letters and the letters from others do a fine job of putting that, to, that feeling at ease. While we acknowledge that we are in the belly of the beast, we remain steadfast in our trust of the Lord and commitment to our great nation. And um, patriots never dry, and God bless you both in his name. And so I want to remind you, uh, patriotprayerproject.com is where you can write to these prisoners. Uh, the FBI narrative about the January 6th Capitol insurrection is falling apart. They had to release some video just uh, last week, and it shows, you know, like touristy people walking to the Capitol showing, uh, taking pictures. It's, it's a very big contrast between what the, uh, mil- the media and the FBI and the Capitol Police have been the little snippets of video they've been showing. We also know that Proud Boy members and uh, were infiltrated by the FBI informants. Uh, that's a longer story that I haven't got time to tell right now. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, yeah maybe not quite what they said it was. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.